Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Jason Greenblatt. With tensions rising across the world, Diplomacy is needed perhaps now more than ever. During my time as former White House Middle East envoy and as one of the chief architects of peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors, I've had the chance to witness the power of diplomacy firsthand. And today, I would like to share that perspective with you. Shalom, salam, and welcome to The Diplomat. A few weeks ago, a draft opinion written by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito was leaked. The draft of the court's decision would overturn decades-old abortion rights provided for in Roe v. Wade. Supreme Court Justice John Roberts confirmed the authenticity of the leaked draft opinion when he said, To the extent this betrayal of the confidences of the court was intended to undermine the integrity of our operations, it will not succeed. The work of the court will not be affected in any way, said Justice Roberts, and he directed the marshal of the court to launch an investigation into the source of the leak. Justice Clarence Thomas also weighed in with his thoughts. Here's Justice Thomas. Where now that trust or that belief is gone forever. Um, the, and when you lose that trust, especially in the institution that I'm in, uh, it changes the institution fundamentally. The Supreme Court leak garnered worldwide attention, and rightly so. It's resulted in countless articles and discussions on social media and protests around the United States. In this episode, I want to focus not on the contents of the opinion and the arguments from those who object to or are in favor of the draft opinion. So much of that has been said and so much more will be said over the coming weeks. But here, just to put it into context, are two examples of the reaction to the leak. Here's Senator Elizabeth Warren. I am angry because we have reached the culmination of what Republicans have been fighting for. Because I am angry and I am here because the United States Congress can change all of this. Yes, it yes. Understand this. Understand this. I have seen the world where abortion is illegal. And we are not going back. And here is Senator Ted Cruz. Yesterday was a truly ominous day in the history of the Supreme Court. Last night, the leak marks an unprecedented breach of the trust that every justice, every law clerk, every employee of the court owes that institution. Very little in life leaves me speechless. When I saw that news, I was truly flabbergasted. The ethical violation, very potentially the legal violation, the wound to the independence of the court and to the integrity of the court may well be a wound from which the court never fully recovers. I think it's no surprise that I side with Senator Cruz on this, and in a huge way. What I want to do in this episode is to look at what goes into the actual act of leaking. 
What are the ethics of leaking? Why do people leak? What do they hope to accomplish? Is leaking a useful tool in a healthy democracy, or could it be part of democracy's undoing? Who gains and who loses from these leaks? To help make sense of this, I asked three guests of completely different backgrounds to weigh in on the matter. You'll hear the perspective of a journalist, a former White House press secretary, and someone who works in crisis management and public relations. All have either been the beneficiaries of leaks, have had to fight leaks or manage leaks when leaks have happened, and all have different thoughts on the issue. The first question I want people to understand is why people leak in the first place. To answer this, I talked with Matthew Hiltzik, the CEO of Hiltzik Strategies, a strategic communications firm that specializes in crisis management. We discuss why people leak and whether political leakers from different sides of the political spectrum have different habits that it can help readers identify where the leaks are coming from. Here's my discussion with Matthew Hiltzik. So I'm curious if in your role in crisis management and your role as an attorney, you've had clients who have been leaked on and what the fallout was to them or the projects that they were working on when something like this happens. Thanks again for having me. There are a lot of different uh, motives for people to leak depending on their own personal circumstances, professional, uh, the industry, the timing, the outlet. Um, and so you can't really always understand the motive, but uh, one of the things people do is to uh, deliberately try to provoke some sort of controversy, um, either to distract people um, or to, in the hopes of getting a certain reaction that will be to their to their own benefit or or the benefit of their client or their cause. Uh, in this situation, there are a couple of different ways to uh, to look at it. There are those who have uh, sort of speculated um, that this was someone from the left who uh, was more liberal and concerned about this uh, direction of this decision and thought it would draw attention. There's also been those who have suggested it was someone from the right to try to uh, ensure that those justices who had uh, signed on to this earlier draft uh, would maintain their same positions uh, in, in the final decision that would be uh, released by the court later this year. So it's there's, there's a couple of different ways to look at it, but um, and some people honestly just have access to things and and want to cause trouble. So there's there's a few different reasons people might leak. So I was going to answer you, and based on your answer, I think I know the answer to that you're going to tell me is whether or not leaking is a problem across the political spectrum. And and if you answer yes, because that would be along the lines of what you're saying, do the different sides have different tendencies when they leak? Yeah, I think that there is, sometimes it's a little, it's a bit less distinguishable than it may have been in the past. There there are very similar tendencies uh, when it comes to leaks, regardless of political affiliation. It is usually someone believing that they, uh, in, in a political circumstance, it's one where they believe they're doing something that's going to really help the cause. Uh, it's something where typically it's, it's going for the more immediate reaction um, and the strategic value of uh, in the short term in any gains um, may not be realized over the longer term. Um, there are people on the left who uh, historically would believe, oh, there's time to speak up about things when you look going back to Daniel Ellsberg um, and, and the Pentagon Papers, looking at different people who um, spoke up about things that happened um, during Republican administrations, including uh, including the last one. And believing very much that it's trying to 
protect and preserve different American values. And the reality is that I'm sure that many people on the uh, to the right and the Republican side of things would believe that if they are leaking things, that they are also doing it for for the cause. Um, I think that there's much more about the type of the individual and whether they are uh, willing to leak things sort of with impunity, without concern about context or consequence. And that's more of a, a, a personality issue that transcends the, the, the partisan side of, of this discussion, uh, the aspect of this discussion. It's, you know, a lot of people either do it because they feel empowered just on a personal level that they can have an impact on the national conversation. Um, or in this case, it's because they're trying to specifically drive to a, a particular outcome. And I understand from a journalist perspective that, you know, they thrive on leaking. Uh, some of the journalists I spoke to about this, um, part of their stories are obviously based on leaking. It's important to them. I have a different view because I think leaking could destroy either business deals, government deals, people, people's lives. But you mentioned something really interesting. You said people leak often, or maybe you said always, without concern about context or consequence. If you were sitting in front of a, a group of journalists or in a journalism school and you were a visiting professor, or in a college campus in front of a bunch of college students, what would you tell them in terms of the destructive nature of leaking and what they should consider before they go ahead and leak? Well, I think that there's different... I, I was dealing with a, a case over the past couple of years where we had a client who had a, a fake police report from another country leaked to a journalist here. And it created quite a debate among uh, different reporters who I spoke with. It turned out that the report was was not real. The journalist published things from it anyway. And it was a circumstance where one side of the argument is, well, no matter what, the source should be protected. It doesn't matter even if they gave you bad information. And then the other side, which was backed by a couple of very prominent journalists and, and former deans of a journalism school, uh, who spoke up and said, no, that protection is only afforded to those who have sort of followed the rules, which is that if someone has the deliberate intent to mislead in the materials that they're given, um, and actually to the point of actually committing a crime of faking like an official document, that that person is not worthy of it because those type of people are actually undermining journalism by giving out fake information. And so I think in speaking to reporters, I'm a very strong believer in the importance of the media of the importance of, uh, as, as someone in the communication space, of helping the media to get things right. And that's typically the best way to serve my clients. However, because of the sensitivities that we've seen in the world now, uh, as you referenced, you know, there can be deals that can be uh, completely you know, blown up based on the fact that there was information that was leaked prematurely. On a political level, it could be because um, it's something that's between sides that have typically been enemies and have not been... Uh, have not done deals before. And so in the first try through, if it leaks, someone could be trying to sabotage those efforts. When it comes to business deals, it could be to try to, um, you know, we live in a, a society that is some significant element of, of cancel culture. And so the association with somebody else, if you would leak something about another party, um, that could potentially um, sabotage that deal and make it go away because of the pressures that it would create on what would have on the other party. So I think there's a lot of different forms of it. Um, there are leaks that frequently happen during litigation um, where sides will want to either um, pre-trial or, or during trial um, or even post um, try to be able to influence the court of public opinion. 
um, through the use of that information. But I, I respect very much that journalists, a significant part of their role in reporting is people being willing to speak to them. And part of that is to have a trust and to understand that there are certain rules of the game if you are going to engage. It's understanding about uh, the, um, the attribution. It's understanding about the timing. It's about the process. Uh, and it's about the you know, positioning vis-a-vis the other side who probably wouldn't have wanted it leaked. Um, different journalists have different standards and and uh, and processes that they would want you to go through. Um, and I do think that people sharing that information as part of a way to tell their story is just uh, it just is the way our our, our system works. Um, the hope would be, I think, from both sides that one wouldn't just look at the partisan um, circumstances. When, you know, to decide about whether a uh, like leaking is generally good or bad, but would generally but would consider more about whether this is good for institutions and, and for democracy. I think for governments to function effectively uh, and, for, and for businesses, there just has to be an understanding. This is just part of what it is, but to try to minimize it as much as possible. Now that we've heard from Matthew about the, the why, let's understand now the perspective of someone who worked in the government. Ari Fleischer is a former White House press secretary under President George Bush. I asked Ari about the damage caused to a government agency or a politician or a diplomat as a result of leaks. As a former White House official myself during President Trump's administration, I have seen a fair share of leaks myself. White Houses are notoriously leaky. Ours was certainly no exception, although I think on our Middle East team we had almost no leaks or very, very few leaks. We kept a very, very tight control over information sharing. Perhaps the most notable leak was the 2018 opinion entitled, I am a part of the resistance inside the Trump administration, which at the time was released anonymously under the name Anonymous. But since then, the leaker has been identified. I wanted to get Ari's take on that leak and leaking generally and see how our experiences of the White House were either similar or differed and how much Ari believes readers should trust anonymous leaks. Here's Ari Fleischer. You come at this perspective of leaking from, I think, probably one of the most important perspectives because you were likely trying to stop leaking all over the place, uh, if at least my experience at the White House was uh, similar to yours. And I wanted to ask you, how damaging is leaking, whether it's in the Supreme Court, in the White House, anywhere? How damaging is it and why? Well, there's two levels of damage a leak does. The first level is if it's a policy leak, or a personnel leak, just the substantive damage. The information wasn't yet right. It wasn't ready to come out. Someone, for whatever reasons, decided they wanted it out now. And so that's just problematic when it comes to how do you make decisions with a clean process or how do you control an event until you're ready to launch it. But the second piece of damage is the more profound one, and that's it destroys trust. If you start to think that everybody I'm working with is a potential leaker, it makes it hard for you to trust people. And you can also say to somebody, did you leak it? Was that you? And you can really hurt them because that person may not have been the leaker. And then that person says, man, my boss doesn't trust me anymore, but I didn't do anything wrong. It creates a terrible atmosphere of distrust. And the best run White Houses I know are the least leaky because they have a good way of doing business, respecting each other and not leaking. So it's interesting you say that because I guess I could say the Trump White House where I worked was a pretty leaky White House, as many are. It was it was, it was terrible. But our team, you know, Jared Kushner, David Friedman, Avi Berkowitz, and others, 
never leaked. In my, my earliest week or two there, there were people from the State Department and the National Security Council who sort of warned me and said, be careful if you leak to people. And they weren't accusing me of leaking, but sort of if you trust journalists or certain journalists, you're going to find very quickly that a story is going to be written. And then the spoilers of what you're working on will come out of the woodwork and try to undermine everything you do because it's premature to share. I took that to heart. Of course, we were also all friends at the time. We weren't after each other's jobs. So we kept a tight lid. Um, And I think you hardly saw leaking from us, but I can definitely relate to what you're saying because unfortunately every night I watch CNN or Fox or whoever, and I saw the damage and destruction from many leakers. Let's talk about one in particular, Anonymous. Uh, We now know who that was. To me, that was just the most egregious type of leak for a couple of reasons. Number one, as far as I know, the person hardly interacted with the president. Number two, that person decided that they were going to protect the United States of America from the duly elected president. Number three, there were all sorts of accusations that I'm not even sure that person could have come to the conclusion given how little interaction he had with President Trump. What was your reaction when you saw that op-ed and then as it unfolded? Yeah, I had long gotten to the point and accelerated in the Trump years. But when I see the media cite anybody anonymously, I discount it. I blip on by. I kind of note it because sometimes anonymous sources turn out to be true. Sometimes they don't. So I sort of just put a footnote in the back of my mind and I say, I'm ignoring this story unless and until somebody comes on the record. Interesting story, but their name is not attached to it. Why should I trouble myself to believe it? And so that was my reaction to anonymous. But I also saw them the next day when the press just had a fit and they're asking the vice president, the secretary of state, the secretary of defense, was it you? Was it you? Was it you? Everybody's denying it. And then when it comes out that as this low level secondary figure in the Department of Homeland Security, who probably never got into the West Wing for any important meetings, I just realized the problem is the press. Leakers are bad enough. But when the press elevates somebody who is a mid-level aide and says they are a senior official, how do we trust the press? How do we know what's right or wrong? Then in the Trump years, boy, it just proved the case. And I'm writing a book about this. It'll be out in July of how far the press would go to get Donald Trump. You know, if it was anti-Trump, it got a bump. And they would elevate anybody if the quote was good enough to make them a senior administration official, regardless of whether the facts supported the quote or the person had knowledge. So let's talk about the press. Some of the press would argue that their business is built on leaks, right? They have a right to tell a story. The public has a right to know. Many would say that they're very careful with how they treat leaks. They try to investigate. They try to weigh things. And I'm sure many do. But how do you bridge the gap for the for my listeners, for consumers of news? How do you bridge the gap between press trying to report accurate stories people trying to do their jobs in a way that's trustful and, you know, non-damaging. How do you allow information to go out, but only the right information and at the right time? Well, let me address it in two points. From a government point of view, the best way for the right information to go out, frankly, is to have a unified team. The reason there were so few leaks in the Bush administration was because we were all loyal to the president and he was loyal to us. And so we knew we could go into a meeting in the Oval Office, have a clash between two powerful, important people, and know that we served the president well because he got to hear all different sides of an issue, sometimes with passion, and it would never leak. It was never Karen Hughes said this and Carl Rowe said that. Which one will the president agree with? And you get lost into Washington drama. 
We respected each other. We treated each other well as individuals inside the White House and whatever rivalries they were, there were, they were secondary to doing our jobs and preserving the president's ability to make decisions. And that's healthy. And the other fact is when you have a president who is really good to the staff, treats people well, wants to know their opinion, has an inclusive process. So, you know, you got your day in court. You can make your case to the president for why he should do X, Y, or Z. And if he doesn't agree with you, he doesn't agree with you. He's the boss, but you had your chance. One way White Houses leak all the time is if people, important people feel the boss just won't listen. I can't get my information in front of them. So the only way I can do it is I've got to put it in the Washington Post. A well-run White House is a less leaky White House. And, you know, at the beginning of the Trump era, frankly, the, the, the terrible pitted rivalries between Ryan's previous people from the Republican National Committee and then the Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, outsider people inside the White House, it was horrible. There were two warring factions inside the White House who I think took pride in taking each other down instead of serving the president. And that's how leaks either are stopped before they begin because the people you hire are loyal and good and the president treats them well, or it's just a fiefdom of rivalries. So that's it from the government side. Now, from the press side and even the readership side, the problem is sometimes leaks are accurate. The Roe v. Wade leak that just came out, when that first hit, you can feel bombshell all over it. A piece of me paused and said, but is it true? Is it accurate? And I thought, kind of feels accurate. Politico was a little more careful, especially with a substantive story like this. So I, I was inclined to believe it. It got confirmed the next morning when the court in essence, said they're doing an investigation, therefore it was legit. The story was legit. The area where I really question the press's role here in leaks, though, is where they weaponize individual nasty quotes. When an anonymous official says, it's the dumbest thing I ever saw, why on earth would the president do this, or why did the Secretary of Defense do that? Um, this, is, this is a foolhardy mistake, and it's going to come back and bite us. Put your name on it. The press should not assign anonymity to that because people know if they have anonymity, they can torque it up. They can say things that probably go a little too far because who's going to catch them? Who's going to say, no, you're really not right about that if it's not done by name. And the press has a conflict of interest, don't they? They, they don't want good government. They want good leaks. And so to empower people to give them a false sense of seniority or importance for their quote, when you would never see that quote if a name was attached, because people wouldn't talk like that. So we get an amped up, hyped up, distorted view of what people are really saying, because the press bestows anonymity on people, and people run with their anonymity and take it to places it doesn't belong. So if I'm a reader of an article watching a clip on TV, I get the anonymity issue, and I think it's a very, very important point. What else should a reader or a viewer think about when they see a story to try to understand what's really happening as happening as opposed to what they may be manipulated into happening, either through the press or the leaker? I would ignore or disregard political style, personal vendetta, nasty attack tax delivered through anonymity. I would pay attention to documents that are released with an anonymous from an anonymous source. 
That's where somebody has access to something and you have to evaluate whether that something is the latest draft, the most accurate draft, uh, contradicted by another draft. But the people who control the paper, who leak the paper, it's dishonest, I don't like it. But at least there's something to it of a substantive nature. And it may be a good window into the infighting in the administration or the different arguments over a different policy or a position. I still don't like or trust anybody who leaks stuff like that. You should let it get settled through the internal process and let the president decide which version he, he supports. But at least those leaks have a little more credibility and substance to them than, than just the name calling leak that someone's given an anonymity. And leakers of, con- of confidential information or classified information, I should say, there's a built in punishment for that. Do you think leakers of information, internal debates, things like that should be punished? Oh, absolutely. But why would I want somebody working for me if I knew I entrusted them with something that was not classified, but confidential, and they went out and leaked it? Is there loyalty to the president, the person the people elected, or to the press? And if I've got somebody working for me whose loyalty is to the press, they're gone. Now, there is absolutely a time and a place to get things to the press. And then when the press asks, were there any other opinions? How did the president arrive at this? I think it's absolutely right and it serves the, the richness of information to say that there were some good debates. And during the course of this, the president considered advice to do X. He considered advice to do Y. At the end, he decided to do Y because he thought ABC was a superior argument and DEF were legit, but not good enough. You can walk people through the decision making process after the president decides. But in the middle of it, it's just an attempt by somebody to put their finger on the scale to influence a decision where the decision should be shaped by staff, but made by the boss. And that policy to me is sacrosanct. You don't do that. Look at what's going on at Capitol Hill now where people are leaking phone calls from the congressional leaders. How do you trust each other if you don't think you can even make a phone call without the phone call being gotten made public by somebody? And so... Yes, people like that, if you can figure out who the leaker is, should be dismissed. Now, classified information is a horse of a different color. That's a crime, and it should be prosecuted. But it's very hard to often know who the leakers are, because, of course, the press protects their sources. So if we had to distill it into one sort of slogan, and you're far better at this than me, but I'll try, and then you'll fix it. Um, Trust the process, and don't go for the underhanded leak or underhanded tactics because you could undermine some really important process, you know, um, projects along the way. Absolutely right. A good process means someone's playing the devil's advocate. Someone is challenging conventional wisdom. Someone just ardently believes what you're doing is wrong and here's a better way. But you know, when you're privileged to work in the white house and you're privileged to have the ear of the president or any decision maker, If you can work through that process, you're serving the country. And if you lose because somebody decided somebody else had a better argument, accept your loss and move on to the next one. You're not the boss. You're just a staffer. And the staffers who decide that I've got to go public with this because my position is more virtuous than the next guy's, I just don't trust people like that. Those are not the people you want working with you at the White House. I guess that's the other slogan. You're not the boss, right? President is duly elected Supreme Court justices, whoever they are, but the rest of us were serving, not uh, not the boss. 
Absolutely right. Look, there are things I overheard in the Oval Office. I was privileged to be in the Oval for maybe a third or quarter of my days and meetings with the president, listening to this and listening to that. You know, often at the end of the meetings, there'd be somebody saying something irreverent or joking or something like that. And if you want to leak it, you could leak it and get a headline in the Washington Post. Who would do that? You don't do that. And, and I don't care what industry you're in, whether it's politics or sports or a school system, you, sh you should respect the process. And if you work with good people, the best decisions get made that way. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of this break, you'll hear the perspective of Jonathan Swan, the Emmy Award winning political reporter from Axios, to hear how Jonathan handles the ethics of leaking within his profession. You're listening to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. As is the case with most things, politics or otherwise, there are multiple views on sensitive and complex topics. Leaking, of course, is no exception. You've heard from Matthew Hiltzik, who helped us understand why people leak. You've heard from former Press Secretary Ari Fleischer, who talked about how leaking can expose a lack of strength or trust in an administration, which, by the way, can be applied not just to administrations, but to companies or other areas where leaks come from. You've heard how they can be destructive. Now let's hear from someone on the other side of the argument, Jonathan Swan, who joined me on last week's podcast, which if you didn't catch yet, I highly, highly recommend that you check it out. Think about Jonathan's view and consider whether or not it is ethical to leak, if it is worthwhile to leak, if it is appropriate to leak. Here's my discussion with Jonathan Swan of Axios. I once met a diplomat from a foreign country who said to me, Jason, here's what you need to do. You leak things and then the people who you leak to will write some amazing stories about you. And I said... <laughs> I'm not here to get amazing stories about me. I'm here to do my job. Like I, I was incredulous that this not low level official actually said that out loud, let alone to someone who I was, I was practically a stranger to him. Why do people leak besides that obvious one? Uh, there's so many, you know, I once did a story on this actually. Um, it was funny back in 2018, um, I had a whole series of like just crazy amounts of leaking uh, at this period of time. Um, and there was meetings where I got full readouts from multiple people in the room. And I was like, and anyway, one of my bosses said to me, why don't you just, I'd be really curious if you wrote a story like, why do people leak? Um, and I said, well, maybe I'll just ask my favorite leakers uh, why they leak. You know, it's just a kind of silly item that I had in, in the newsletter. It was, it was kind of interesting. And so I went to some of my, um, 
my uh, most, uh, let's call the most generous sources. And I asked them why they do it. And it was interesting. It was a real variety of, they, they were actually quite honest about it. There was a variety of um, reasons. The most asinine, but I have to be honest, because it was one of the things that was said to me. And I do think this is sort of, uh, if people are really honest, more common than people realize is just almost the fun of leaking. I know that sounds crazy and screwed up, but th there's almost um, a rush that I think some people get out of it once they do it. Um, and I can't begin to get into the psychology of that, but um, I think that that is more prevalent than people realize. The more common reason I think is probably to try to influence a policy debate. If they see that something's heading in a certain direction that they're not happy with, they will try to leak it. Um, that then obviously raises questions for you as a journalist about, well, I'm obviously being manipulated here. They're trying to get this out for a reason, for an outcome. My goal in that situation is to, pardon me, establish whether what they're telling me is true, whether it's a tiny piece of something larger, whether there's important context that I'm missing. And so that necessitates going to other people. You should always go to other people regardless to get uh, a, a fuller picture. But I think that is by far the most common reason for leaking. If someone is losing a, po a policy debate internally, they try to manipulate it through the press. Um, and then there's another reason, which I think is sort of, um, well, I, I would say as an extension of that is um, th th there'll be people, um, bureaucrats, not usually political appointees, sometimes political appointees, um, but just government officials who feel that something is happening, that they have a moral obligation to reveal, that they feel that it is um, dangerous or immoral or, or, or whatever. And, um, and so that's another, um, you know, the, uh, the sort of the, probably the, um, most famous example of that is the Pentagon papers, that there is this secret history of, of the war, of the Vietnam war, that the American people have a right to know. And that was, that was, um, um, Ellsberg's, um, perspective there. There's another reason, which I think is more base, which is, um, just pure kind of warfare, personality warfare. If, if you are having a feud internally with somebody, you're trying to harm them. Um, you're trying to drive them out. Um, you, you might try and leak against them. And that's the most dangerous type of leak to receive as a journalist, because you are, you know, as soon as you hear something, like that, you know why they're trying to tell you that it's for that end. And so then, you know, I can't tell you how many stories I've, rejected because I've, I've found out that either it's false or it's kind of, a, there's a kernel of truth, but really it's kind of BS or, um, or, um, you know, it's just fundamentally unfair. You know, I, there's been, I would say 95% of those types of stories that I've been given, um, for some reason or other, it falls over, uh, um, and you hear them every day. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, literally it will happen today. I promise you I'll get a call today from someone saying, you know, you should know this about this person and blah, blah, blah. And you listen and you say, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then you run it down if it's interesting enough. And maybe it's true, but often it's not. Um, so that would be the other um, category that I would um, put leaking in. So I know leaking is essential 
to some journalism. I, I totally get that. I hear everything you're saying, and I appreciate that you go through a very kind of extensive thought process with all the things you mentioned. The other side of the coin is it could be very destructive, destructive to people using the last example you spoke about and destructive to missions and potential mm -hmm. really important diplomatic and or domestic decisions. Mm -hmm. um, how, I guess you have to choose between, am I going to take reporting the news, you know, first amendment, freedom of the press and all that, or destroying how heavily does that weigh in in the decision-making process? With me, it, it, it probably I, I'm always on the side of publishing. Um, that's my that's where I fall as a default. Um, is that that my job is to tell the public how their government works, um, with some exceptions. If someone makes a compelling case to me that me reporting this is going to put someone's life in danger, or um, you know. Now that's never happened to me. So, but it's just something that I, it's an abstract thing that I know could happen at some point. That's something, you know, if someone made that compelling case to me that, you know, you like, for example, do I think it's a good idea to just do what WikiLeaks does and just dump documents without really considering um, what you might be doing to someone's life or putting someone in danger? I, I think you should really be very careful, particularly with classified information with national security, to, to look at it and really vet the information, not just for whether it's accurate, but um, whether you're unwittingly exposing a, a source who's, who, who might be you know, in danger in, in that country. And you have real responsibility because these are people, these are people's lives. Um, so that's a category. But, you know, um, if you start going down the road of, well, if I report this, it might uh, make it harder for Biden to um, to to pull off his um, uh, immigration policy or, you know, I got leaked. Uh, one of the biggest stories I've done in the last year, I got leaked um, the National Security Council notes from the, the meeting that Biden's team held the day before Kabul fell. And that was very sensitive um, conversation, but I thought it was important. It helped people see where they were at and the lack of planning, etc. Now you could make an argument. Well, you're making things harder for them to, you know, I don't know, stabilize the, well, I don't know. You can make a million arguments that, or you're making it harder for him to execute his immigration policy. I've, I've had leaked documents on their immigration plans, which I've published. Once you start going down that route, you're really going, you know, you, you sort of, going down a path that I think, um, you know, there's no end to it really. And, and, you know, you, you're moving away from being a journalist. Um, so I, to me, there has to be a pretty extreme set of circumstances to not publish. Um, and for me, again, it's never happened, but it would probably have to be something like, you know, you're endangering people's lives by reporting this. So because not every journalist goes through this extensive thought process, not every media organization does it either. There are clearly lots of articles or news reports that are from leakers that are untrue or manipulative. How should a consumer of news weigh, you know, what they're hearing to understand what's truth, what's manipulative, what's something else? Well, I think generally speaking, you're better served if you consume a variety of media sources. And obviously, um, if something is very sensational, you want to see corroboration. Um, it's more likely to be true if multiple outlets end up 
reporting it than it is if one outlet, there's a thing in our industry that no one wants. It's called a permanent exclusive. Um, it's when you're hanging out there, you're the only one who's reported this. Uh, I think McClatchy had the permanent exclusive that Michael Cohen was in Prague. Um, no one's ever matched it. You, you don't want to be in that position as a reporter. So that's a good clue. Um, getting to, again, this is something that not everyone has the time to do, but starting to familiarize yourself, not just with the publications themselves, but with individual reporters within the publications that you think, oh, well, this person knows their beat. I, you know, I, I, I have a high level of trust in this particular reporter than in, in that particular reporter. Um, obviously, the gold standard, you know, what I try to do in, in my best reporting and, and, you know, great reporters do this routinely is to have lots and lots of detail. So if I'm, if I'm describing a scene um, in the Oval Office, in the Situation Room, in, in you know, whatever, um, basically what I, I try to do is how do I make, how do I write a story so that people can verify whether it's true or not? If you just write some wispy story of, you know, President Biden has been saying this and it's disembodied and it's this sort of wispy thing, it's impossible to prove whether it's true or not. Um, it might be true, but if it's if it's completely um, uh, disentangled from time, place, setting, there's no way of other reporters or people verifying it. But if I say on April 13th, President Biden sat in the Oval Office, these people were around the desk, they discussed this, this was said, this was said, and then they ended up drafting this document, which blah, blah, blah. Those are some really hard facts that people can say, well, you're wrong, you know, Swan, you totally screwed that up. And, you know, you're actually putting out stuff that people can verify or not. So detail is really important. And when I see a story that has lots and lots of detail um, of setting, um, you can tell that they've got multiple people who are, were in that room or directly briefed on it because, you know, you're really, if you don't, if you're relying on third hand, you're taking a huge risk because it's very easy for your competitors to say that's complete BS. That never happened. Um, so detail is really important. Track record. Um, who are, do they know the subject matter? Have they been covering it a long time? And just being open to reading lots and lots of different publications and not just relying on one publication um, that affirms your worldview. I want to thank Jonathan, Ari, and Matthew for taking the time to talk to me about this. After listening to the three of them, I will say that my views on leaking have not changed. I was dead set against it when I worked at the White House, and I remain so. While I understand Jonathan's point of view on how the press needs these leaks for many reasons, and I do appreciate the thoughtful way he seems to handle leaks to try to be sure the leaks are both reliable and that they're used carefully in the context of how they're used and how they share the information, I also understand Matthew Hiltzik's point of view from his discussion, but I'm fully with Ari on this one. I think leaks are destructive to critical work being done by government officials and diplomats. Leaks can be seriously damaging to the work being done. It could allow spoilers of the work to come out of the woodwork and manipulate outcomes. Too often, really so too often, leaks come from people with an axe to grind or who want to change policy direction away from the direction being taken by those who are elected or appointed to actually choose the policy. Anonymous, by the way, was one such example of somebody who had no power whatsoever, no um, elected office, no appointment to set policy, hardly ever, if ever, met with President Trump, had no right to change any kind of policy, had no right to do or say what he did. 
These people who leak really, really undermine trust in the workplace in ways that are incredibly destructive. So many argue that leaks are a necessary evil. I would just say they really are evil. Take out the word necessary. The next time you want to leak, please think twice about the damage you're about to unleash. Remember your role in government or your role in the company you work for or whatever it is that you're doing where you want to leak. Let those who are elected or appointed to do the work that they're supposed to do decide to give out the information to the public at the right time. Let them control the right context of giving out the information. Don't think about yourselves. Don't think about your personal mission, your personal vendettas. Think about the bigger picture. And to my listeners, as you read articles or watch news coverage about leaks, read them or watch them carefully. As our guests have said, think about the tips they've shared with you on this episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Feel free to reach out to us either through Newsweek or on my website, jasongreenblatt.com. Don't forget to scroll back and listen to the episodes that we've recorded previously. So many of them are still extremely relevant. Please do share them with your friends, family, and colleagues. Follow me on Twitter at GreenblattJD. And my book will be coming out shortly this summer. Please don't forget to go to Amazon, search either my name, Jason Greenblatt, or In the Path of Abraham, and pre-order it on Amazon if you're interested in diplomacy in the Middle East, in Israel, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, the United Emirates, Bahrain, and others. Times are tense in the Middle East. Times are tense all over the world today. This is a a book you're really going to want to read. Thanks again. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home Yes, cool! or attending one live, you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.